If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. The Box of Oddities is now a CastBox original. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can find all your favorite podcasts. You can listen to The Box of Oddities wherever you access your podcasts. But we hope you give CastBox a try. The curator is greatly pleased with CastBox. We think it's the best. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. And now I'm ready. <laughs> so this was a, an exciting week for us because uh, it was our wedding anniversary. We've been together for, what, eight years or something, but uh, married for three. And uh, this is the week that we spent our honeymoon in Washington, D.C., which, you know, because we're museum geeks, made all the sense in the world. It was the best week of my GD life. We, uh, we, we, seriously, we spent our entire honeymoon week just going to the Smithsonian and various other, uh, uh, museums in the area. And eating. And eating a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much our entire honeymoon was museums and eating. <laughs> Except for that one night. Um, oh. In the, <laughs> yeah, in I know what that, you're at. Yeah, that one night. Yeah. Yeah. So we're getting ready for dinner um, one of the nights that we were in Washington. And the uh, lovely Bart Keep downstairs that we had just spoken to uh, was kind enough to acknowledge that it was our uh, honeymoon and he was going to send us some champagne, which yeah. was very nice. So he sent it up to the room, yeah. and apparently the uh, the housekeeping person or the, uh, the the room service person either didn't realize we were in the room yeah. or knocked and we did not hear. Mm -hmm. But long story short, uh, he walked in and uh, you were butt naked. Completely naked. Completely naked, standing there in front of the door uh, with nothing to shield your privates but a bottle of shampoo that you were holding, and it was... Unfortunately, one of those hotel bottles of shampoo, so it was really, really small. Yeah, that got awkward. <laughs> <laughs> Fun times. Fun times. 
yeah, he was all like, um, uh, sorry. And he just kind of like backed left, out, left the champagne slowly. on the sink and just backed out slowly. I did notice, though, that because um, he did work in the bar as well, that after that, he was comping all your drinks, but not <laughs> mine. Well, look at all this. Yeah. This will get you some free drinks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even want to know what you mean by that. But um, yeah. So anyway, happy anniversary. Thank you. You're pretty great. I thought you meant happy anniversary of the day that the room service guy saw you naked. Yeah. Happy anniversary of the naked room service guy seeing you day. Our life is full of magic moments like this. (laughs) They mostly (laughs) involve me being embarrassed. I love it. (laughs) I I do. Keeps my life rich. Awesome. Theboxofoddities.com. You can find all our stuff there, our social media, um, a way to get a hold of us. Of course, our email is curator at theboxofoddities.com. If you've got questions, suggestions, or if you've got some beautiful fan art, which we've been getting a little bit of this week and it's very exciting. Yeah, we just love hearing from you. We, we really do. We look forward to it. Every time uh, we open up our email inbox, it's uh, we kind of gather around it together like like they used to in the old days when a radio show would Fireside come Fireside chats. Yeah, it was a fireside chat kind mm. of thing. And we sit there and we just read each other uh, comments and emails. Yeah. And, uh, and then I weep. And then she weeps. She does. <laughs> no big deal. So you go first this week. What do you have? You did say that your topic was pretty light this week, right? I'd say on a scale from 1 to 10, 10 being the darkest, mm-hmm. uh, mine's probably a, like a 3.5. Okay. Something in that area. That's light enough. There, there are some, some dark moments, but the overall arc of it is, is not too dark. That's good enough for me. Okay. What do you got? We are going to talk today about the woman who is, according to some, the most prolific female killer in history. Really? Elizabeth Bathory. I don't know who this is. What? Yeah. Well, well, refresh my mind. I'm not good with names, but I I, I am good with murders. I don't even think that's weird. I just... <laughs> <laughs> you know exactly what I'm talking yep. about. <laughs> okay. So, uh, Countess Elizabeth Bathory de Eskid. Her name in Hungarian was Bathory Erzbet. Um, but we're going to call her Elizabeth because that's easier for me. Sure. Um, she was a Hungarian noblewoman and alleged murderer. Uh, she was from a family of nobility in the kingdom of Hungary who owned the land um, that uh, is now Hungary and Slovakia and Transylvania, now Romania. What, what time period was this? She was born in 1560, and she spent her childhood at uh, the castle S. Exed. She spent her time in a castle. Mm -hmm. Her father was George Bathory of the branch of the family that is the same name as that castle. Her brother was Andrew and uh, her mother was Anna Bathory. Her mother and father were pretty closely related. I don't remember if they were first cousins or if they but they were they were that it would you happened know happened a lot right they were they were doing inbreed. the royalty keeping it in the family kind of thing yeah the blue blood thing exactly 
Elizabeth was the niece of Hungarian noble Stephen Bathory, the King of Poland and the Grand Duke of Lithuania at the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth and the Prince of Transylvania. I mean, she was just enmeshed with royalty. It was everyone was someone. Steeped in nobility. She was engaged at the age of 10. Uh Uh-huh. Part of the family's desire to keep the peasants in line involved a a bit of torture, as it often did. Um, It's said that at the age of 10, the same year as her engagement, Elizabeth watched uh, her dad ordered one of the peasants to be sewn into the stomach of a dying horse with just her head sticking out. (gasps) That's where she remained until she died. Um, That gave me the full-on body shivs. I'm serious. That's horrific. Yeah. It's, um, you had talked uh, in an earlier episode about some of the tortures that that mm-hmm. they used in various times. And this, I've got to say, is one of the worst things I've ever heard in my life. I've never heard of that, ever. And it's just, there's so many, there are so many, just ew. It, ew. Yeah. Um, so, as I said, Elizabeth was engaged at the age of 10 to Ferenc Nazadi the son of uh, a baron, and what was probably a political arrangement within the circles of the aristocracy. As her social standing was higher than that of her husband, she refused to change her last name, which... Yeah, well done, lady. That's that's my vote. Her husband, uh, as I mentioned, was of a lower status. He was known as being a great fighter and strategist, but outside of that, he was kind of a dum-dum. And she, however, was super smart, very well-educated. She spoke Greek, Latin, and Hungarian, where at that time, you know, the majority of people were illiterate, and she was on the ball. So she kind of felt like she had this upper hand in their relationship. Sure. Now, he was, as I mentioned, also a soldier, so he would go off and uh, fight in these long escapades. Campaigns. Sure. Thank you. Mm. That would take him away from the castle for for periods of time. And he wanted to make sure that Elizabeth would be good at torturing the peasants in the event that right. he was gone. Yeah. While I'm away, here's a list. Um, get some milk. Make sure you feed the dogs. And here's a helpful list on torture techniques for peasants. Right. Now, as I mentioned, she had some experience on her own. Uh-huh. So it kind of became a weird bonding pastime for them to experiment with tortures. And oh, my God. So there were a lot of, like, poking needles under fingernails <laughs> and flogging with uh, stinging nettles. Which I guess, in addition to feeling like needles are poking you all over your body, it also has a real histamine reaction. Like you are, your body doesn't want that. No. So it starts to, you just get real allergic and you you itch all over and that, that stays with you for a little bit. So that's a nice one, I think. At least it's organic. 
Elizabeth, though, um, there were several instances where she did intervene on behalf of destitute women, including a woman whose husband was captured by the Turks and a woman whose daughter was raped and impregnated. She kind of held this weird middle line between everyone being just terrified of what her and her family might do to them and kind of taking care of people. Just enough, though, to, to foster a sense of loyalty, probably. Maybe that was it. Yeah. But it's also purported that she was bisexual. And there are some that believe that those women that she helped take care of, oh. that it was not for free. They were lovers? I think that lovers is a nice word to use. She was a rapist? I think maybe. Yeah. But we're going to touch upon what that possibly could have meant in, in just a bit. Okay. So Ferenc... And Elizabeth had four children, very possibly five. There was a son that is said to have been born that they kind of got rid of. I don't know. Okay. Why? You know, I don't understand a lot of what went down in that time. So I'm not going to try to figure it out. But Ferenc then died on the 4th of January, 1604. And the exact nature of his illness is unknown. It seems to have started in 1601. So he was sick for a while. He had debilitating pain in his legs, never fully recovered. He became permanently disabled. It was also said that in 1604, Ferenc had taken a harlot, quote unquote, into his bed and then refused to pay her. So she stabbed him and that became infected. And he was, quote, not long for this world. This, though, I found in an article in The Toast. And um, so different sources, of course, coming with different bits. This was the 1600s. It was a long time ago. We can't have, you know, 100% of the story. Tales are told. So then he kicked it. And it's said that at that point, Elizabeth's foray into the torture really blossomed. Blossomed? That's a good word. Elizabeth was said to be a good and caring mother, although her wet nurse, Helena, would become one of Elizabeth's greatest accomplices in taking care of servants and the peasants in a way that um, wasn't taking care of them it was at torture. all. Okay. So, so, right. so after her husband died, mm-hmm. she recruited her, her wet nurse mm-hmm. as her accomplice. Right. What the servants had to do in order to be punished by Elizabeth is really highly debatable. Um, Some believe that it was only servants that had misbehaved that she punished, quote unquote. Um, Others think that she was obsessed with the idea of bathing in virgin blood. Okie doke. And so she just kept hiring young girls that she could then... Bleed out. Yep. Mm. And, uh, you know, blood congeals quickly. So you need to have fresh batches all the time. Um, In the winter, if she wanted to take care of usually these young girls, one of her favorite ways was to um, drag them out into the snow naked uh, behind a horse and just drag them around for a little bit. Sure. And if that didn't do it, then just leave them in a pile but dump cold water over them. That's a good way to go. In the snow. Mm. And then just leave them and see what happens. So she had given up uh, those seasonal stinging nettles for man-made instruments. One of, thing, one of the things was called a cudgel. 
that's a heavy, short staff covered in just about anything barbed you can find. There were four people in total who were cited as collaborators during the eventual trial against Elizabeth Bathory. Their crimes were said to be committed between 1585 and 1609, and the highest number of victims cited during that trial was 650. What? What? That number comes from a claim by a servant girl uh, named Susanna, and there were over 300 witnesses interviewed for this trial. Some were survivors. um, Some were people who just saw things go down. And there was physical evidence found at the castle, notably mutilated dead and dying girls. That'll do it. It would certainly make me suspicious. Of course, her story became part of national folklore and persists to this day. She's often compared with Vlad the Impaler. They would have been a fun couple. Right. Dinner parties at their house were a hoot. So she killed She killed allegedly how many people? 650. 650 over what period of time? Uh, 24 years. 24 years. Right? Okay, so that's 27.08 murders a year. So a couple a month for 20... And I imagine that more of them came in certain chunks and others were more spaced out. And these are just the ones that they knew of. There were probably more. Well, that's, again, debatable. No, there's always more. The exact number of Elizabeth Bathory's victims is unknown, and contemporary estimates are really varied. During the trial, there were 36 and... 37 victims, respectively, cited by... Uh, they're not police officers. They're... Constables? Okay, let's let's use that word, even though Bobbies? I don't... Bobbies? No, <laughs> I don't that's think English. it's Bobbies. Um, yeah, okay. Law enforcement officials. Exactly. Okay. Other defendants at the trial estimated the number at 50, but castle personnel estimated the number of bodies removed from the castle between 100 and 200. Ooh. So it's really difficult. I don't even think at the time they were able to cohesively decide on a number. The number 650 was thrown around. I see. All right. Well, really more than zero is enough. I agree. Yeah. Especially when you're bathing in their blood. Exactly. Slash freezing them or sewing them into horses. That's just horrifying. That whole sewing somebody into a live dying Mm. horse. (sighs) So Elizabeth was imprisoned at uh, a castle that, again, I can't pronounce, and placed in solitary confinement. She was kept in a bricked set of rooms with only small slits left open for ventilation and the passing of food. And she remained there for four years until her death. Yay! That's not kind. And there was much rejoicing. (laughs) Yay. So, Bathory Mm -hmm. grows up seeing torture, marries a dude, they torture together, he kicks it, she just kind of loses it and finds new horrible ways to kill 650 people, NBD. Bathory's case may not have in fact been that at all. What? There are some Hungarian scholars that say it may have been motivated more by others' power and greed than her supposed evil. There is a growing theory that, yes, she was cruel. And yes, she may have been... Bathing in virgin blood. No. No? That was made up. Really? 
The idea was that she was a woman whose husband had died. She was the owner of very strategically important land that increased her family's already vast wealth. And as an intelligent, powerful woman who ruled without a man at her side, it was very easy to conspire against her. Really? And um, yes, she may have abused her servants, but the idea is that it came nowhere near the level of violence alleged at her trial and that it was almost entirely what's that word fabricated fabricated to make her seem like she had made a pact with the devil or something and you know how you know you bring the devil in and and people get all itchy so (laughs) the devil does make you itchy it's all the heat it's a prickly heat so the worst case scenario is that she was in fact an evil blood-sucking countess who uh, bathed in the blood of virgins and I guess worst er case is that um, she just wasn't nice and was set up because she was a woman in power. Now I feel bad for saying yay she died in prison. I know that's why I told you to stop it. I'm sorry well I didn't know I, I guess we don't know do we? We just don't know and the thing is there were 300-something witnesses at this trial. Mm -hmm. So you think, well, I mean, that many people. But then again, it's very easy to manipulate people with power, with money, especially in a time where, like, peasants, they have so little opportunity for advancement in any way. If they were offered something, if they had heard stories if they you know there are lots of ways to manipulate people wow it's very upsetting that i don't know the real answer i think that the the horse thing was the the worst thing that i can think of ever but there were many examples of tortures that we didn't discuss uh, just because it started to get a little gratuitous yeah and um so and The extremism of those stories kind of makes me lean toward the idea that she was set up because you know how you come up with keywords and um, kind of hip phrases, like in the 80s, the satanic panic, you know, a teenager who made a bad choice has an Iron Maiden poster in his bedroom and all of a sudden he's a Satan worshiper and blah, blah, blah. So during this time, there were lots of opportunities to... Um, exaggerate a story. Um, you know they through... didn't. They didn't have Snopes back then. And at this time, you know, it was really uh, common and easy to stage a power grab. That's exactly what I wanted to go for. Uh-huh. But I was going to use more words like icky and <laughs> snatchy snatch. <laughs> so thank you. I love your vernacular. <clears throat> So that's, I'm sorry that it's not a more conclusive ending to my story. I feel bad that I don't have answers. But you tend to lean toward setup. I do. Okay. I do. Not that I think she was great. I do not think she was great. Right. I think that maybe she was nasty and that those things were exaggerated, that her natural nastiness was exaggerated for others' profit. The end. That was beautifully told. Thank you. It began as that stuff that didn't seem to fit anywhere else. It's become that thing in the middle. These are the weirdest Dorito flavors from around the world. Because after hearing about a woman being sewn into a horse, 
Why wouldn't you want to talk about Doritos? Number five, crispy salmon. That's from Japan. A lot of these are from Japan. Yeah, you'll know the trend here for sure. Number four, roe and mayonnaise. What is roe? Rose fish eggs. Oh yeah, that's right, like caviar. Number three, winter crab. Number two, stir fry. Oh my gosh, we could do so many of these. I know. Number one and a half, corn soup. <laughs> and the number one weird Dorito flavor from around the world, sausage. So what are all of those, which would be the one that you would be most likely or most willing to try? Well, I'd have to check the ingredients. Ew, olives, fresh basil and sp- Smoked Italian ham. I can't. Oh, God. It looked so much bigger in the full-color brochure. This is the Box of Oddities. So what do you have for me? You know I love the blues. And there's an old Albert King song called uh, Born Under a Bad Sign. And in it he says, If I didn't have bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. So that got me thinking... Why is it that some people seem to have more bad luck than others? Do they draw it to themselves? Is it just fate? Well, that's interesting. Rami Zwick, a business professor at the University of California, Riverside, according to uh, an article on Seeker.com, points out that the idea of bad luck um, exists Mm -hmm. in part because uh, most of us don't really understand the science behind statistics. He said, as an example, if you gave 100 people a coin to flip over a period of time, if you do it enough, it would be 50-50. 50% of the flips would be heads, 50% would be tails. Now, if you said that maybe heads was considered positive and tails was considered negative, there would be within that sample people who flipped more heads than tails and more tails than heads. So are those people who flip the ta- more tails, are they just unlucky or is it just the draw of the cards? Of course, in real life, competence comes into play. Sure. Decision making. I keep dropping this coin. Right. Exactly. That, that sort of thing. And then there are those who think that uh, perhaps our thoughts, what we believe tends to draw that stuff to us, you mm-hmm. know, law of attraction and, and, and that sort of thing. Sure. And I can't help but think that probably some of that plays a part in it. If you're dwelling on negative things all the time, then you're going to react to those things as negative, and that's going to create more negativity. Some people look at uh, negative situations as as a positive. For example, let's say uh, their car keeps breaking down. A lot of people would say, well, I just have bad luck. Perhaps uh, a more successful person would look at it like, well, my car keeps breaking down, but now I'm an expert on getting the best deals on getting my car fixed. You know, they they find a positive element and turn it around like that. Perhaps they keep dropping their phone and busting their phone. And of course, most people would say, God, I can't, I have this terrible luck. But a more successful person may look at it as like, well, now I'm an expert in finding the best deals on phones. So in a way, you can say it's kind of law of attraction-ish. Or it's just your how you what your outlook is yeah. on you're life not, in general. Yeah, yeah. Because if you if you just feel you're being beaten down all the time, you're not going to fight back as strongly. Yeah, and the person who looks at those negative things as opportunities, they wouldn't be the person who thinks that they have bad luck. Here are some people that uh, could be said to have had some pretty 
bad luck throughout history. This is a guy named uh, Walter Summerford. He was struck by lightning three different times in life. What? And then four years after he, he died, his gravestone was struck by lightning. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh. uh, then there's the story of Ronald Wayne, who owned 10% of the stake of Apple computer in the early days and sold his, uh, his stock early on for $800. Um, if he had stayed with it, it'd be worth $35 billion today. Well, I mean, is that luck or no, is that strategery? That's, a, that's, that's just a bad decision. <laughs> there was a woman named uh, Janine Rogers, and uh, she had a run of really bad luck. She slipped off a ship's deck into the water. This was like a cruise ship. She mm -hmm. was backing up to have her picture taken, and she flipped over into the water. Oh, no. And so her friend ran to get help and slipped and knocked herself out. Oh, no. Well, you're, you're never supposed to run on, not a on a poop deck. Not a, poop decks are slippery. And it really makes me think that maybe um, they were cruising with the Three Stooges. They, they ultimately turned the ship around and found her. Mm -hmm. She's very lucky. But then she was struck by lightning once. And then struck by lightning a second time, different time. She almost got strangled to death by her husband. She wow. was she was mugged. That's not luck. That's just a dick for her husband. Yeah. She had a bat stuck in her hair at one point, digging <sighs> into her scalp, and the neighbors wouldn't help her. I love bats. And then she was at a public swimming pool one time, and she uh, was trying to get out of the water, and she slipped, and she grabbed hold of somebody in front of her and pulled his swim shorts down, and it was Mr. Rogers. <gasps> Fred Rogers? She pantsed Mr. Rogers. Oh, my goodness. So that probably made up for right. a lot of her bad luck. <laughs> I don't know that she would see it that way. I had a very similar experience years you, ago. You pantsed Fred Rogers? No, but I saw Captain Kangaroo's bare ass. Well, tell me more about this, sir. I was doing a broadcast at Disney World in Orlando, mm -hmm. When you were working for a radio station down there? Yeah, we did a lot of stuff with Disney. Sure. And at the time, Disney was running a new Captain Kangaroo show on the Disney Channel. And it was very short-lived. short, short -lived, And it was, you know, the last few days of this guy's life, Bob Keeshan. And so he comes over to do an interview with us. And he's wearing his baggy Captain outfit. Mm -hmm. And like I said, he was really getting up there in years at the time. So he was kind of frail in his in his... And his captain's outfit didn't fit very well. So after the interview, he stood up and his pants got caught in the folding chair and pulled his captain's pants down around his knees just as I turned around. And, and the captain's ass was about six inches from my face. <laughs> so, yeah, that was uh, that was a magical day in the Magic Kingdom. You have the best stories. <laughs> Not many people can say they were six inches away from Captain Kangaroo's bare ass. You're welcome. According to Wonders List, on November 30th, 1954, Ann Hodges was uh, just taking a nap in her home in Alabama. Just, you know, just kicking it. Okay. When a freaking meteorite fell out of the sky and uh, hit her in the hip. Now, what are the odds of that? Think about this for a minute. When did the meteor begin its journey? And from how far away? Probably thousands of light years away. And over that time, it zeroed in on Ann Hodge's hip. Yeah, but did she die? No, she didn't. 
Well, then she's the luckiest. I've never even gotten to touch a meteorite. Well, but, you know, the thing is, the meteorite, of course, is a very valuable thing. Yeah. And uh, then after she was recovering, everybody was trying to steal it from her. Uh-huh. So she didn't get to uh, reap any of the financial benefits of being hit by a meteorite. Uh, she ended up donating it to a museum or something like that. So. Well, it's not about the financial aspect of it. It's a meteorite, and it's so cool. You want to see a picture of her hip? You won't yes. think it's so cool. That's so cool. That's not cool. That's horrifying, that poor woman hit by a meteorite while napping. Oh, she's fine. Well, I mean, she probably did now. And now the story of Violet Jessup. She's got a great name, I She's can tell you that. got a great name. Her first mistake was getting on the Titanic. Oh. Yeah. Now, she did survive that, but then she got on the Britannic, and then that sank, and she survived that. But then she got on the RMS Olympic. Oh. And that collided with a British warship, so that went down. Well, maybe she just shouldn't be a seafaring woman. <laughs> she survived three major... Ship sinkings. Yeah, but she keeps getting on ships. <laughs> I mean, with... make better choices. <laughs> that was all within, say, a four-year period. But she lived to be 84. She died of congestive heart failure in 1971, and she was buried at sea. Oh, that's just cruel. Or it's her way of just saying, fuck you, ocean. <laughs> Jason and uh, Jerry Lawrence are an English couple. They went on vacation to New York City one time. Whoa. Unfortunately, the day that they went to New York on vacation was September 11th, 2001. Um. And so they witnessed the worst terrorist attack on U.S. soil. But that didn't stop their wanderlust. In 2005, they uh, decided to take a trip to London. That's when the underground suicide took place. And it was the worst terrorist attack on British soil. And they were there for that. But they still soldiered on. In 2008, they went to Mumbai. Again, terrorist attack followed on uh, November 26th of 2008, which led to the death of 160 people. They were there. They were present for the worst terrorist attack on Mumbai soil. Oh, my gosh. It's awful. But real quick, are we sure they're not terrorists? <laughs> no, I, I think that they've been cleared. But that's an excellent point. Thank you. Then there's this guy named uh, Fran Selleck. He escaped death seven different times. In 1962, he's traveling by train, and it smashed into the Ice River, killing all 17 passengers except him. He escaped with only minor scratches and bruises. The following year, he was traveling by airplane. Suddenly, the door blew away from the cockpit, forcing him out of the plane. Although 19 people were killed, he suffered only minor injuries when he landed in a haystack. It's like a Bugs Bunny cartoon. It is. But doesn't that make him extraordinarily lucky? I guess it's how you look at it, right? It gets back to how you look at sure. it. He, he, he walked away and said, man, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. And then he survived uh, car crashes and city bus crashes. And uh, he drove off a cliff. Escaping an oncoming truck, he landed in a tree, and then he watched his car explode 300 feet below him. Unbelievable, this guy. It reminds me of those movies, Final Destination, you know, where those kids were on that plane and they were supposed to die, but they didn't die, and then death kept trying to find them. Oh, yeah, right, right. I mean, they weren't good, but... 
Roy Sullivan holds the record for being struck by lightning and surviving. He was a park ranger. Between 1942 and 1977, he was struck by lightning seven different times and survived all of them. Whoa. I'd... I can't imagine it's a pleasant experience to be struck by lightning, mm. but I think it would be kind of neat. Would you? <laughs> Is that wrong? <laughs> it's so wrong. And finally, Robert Todd Lincoln. Married Todd's brother? No, son. Robert Todd Lincoln was, uh, was Mary Todd Lincoln and, <laughs> and Abraham's son. Yeah, that makes much more sense. Forget I said it. <clears throat> Now, he wasn't so much bad luck for himself as he was for presidents that he hung around with. In 1881, he became a lawyer and uh, ultimately became Secretary of War under newly inaugurated uh, James A. Garfield. Now, bear in mind, of course, his father was assassinated when, when he was president. Right. In July of uh, 1881, he was scheduled to travel with President Garfield by train, but the trip never took off. Before Lincoln and Garfield's train could leave the station, Garfield was shot and um, ultimately, of course, died from from his wounds. But it didn't stop there. Two decades later, Lincoln was on his way to meet with uh, then-President McKinley. No. And he was in the building. He wasn't present when McKinley was shot, but he was in the building on his way to see McKinley when McKinley was assassinated. Oh my cripe. So he was asked a number of times, would he ever run for president? Because, you know, he, he was involved in politics. And of course he had a father who was the greatest president ever. Sure. And he said, uh, something to the effect of, uh, no, I seem to, uh, to bring bad luck upon those who hold that office. Oh, oh, Yeah. I feel bad that he would carry that kind of feeling of responsibility. That's, Mm. that makes me sad. Also, are we sure that he's not an assassin? (laughs) There's all kinds of weird coincidences and strange things involving the Lincoln family. For example, Edwin Booth, the brother of John Wilkes Booth, Mm -hmm. the guy who obviously assassinated President Lincoln, actually saved Robert Todd Lincoln's life, or at least prevented serious injury. The incident occurred on a train platform in Jersey City, New Jersey. Uh, The exact date is uncertain, but it's believed to have taken place late 1864, early 65. Lincoln was apparently stepping too close to the train tracks, and uh, Edwin Booth pulled him back, saving his life. Wow. I don't think if it I don't think it makes up for what his brother did, mm-hmm. but uh but that's kind of kind of cool. Interesting for sure. So there you go. It's all how you look at it, I guess. Is it bad luck or is it an opportunity? I think that's the lesson that we've learned here today. You got to stay positive. 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 Look on the bright side. And stay positive. Things aren't so bad. And if they are, get help. I really do think that that it does have so much to do with one's outlook. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like I've never known someone who uses the phrase must be nice to have a nice life. <laughs> That's true. That is actually an excellent example of that. Thank you. You know, you go through life like that. <laughs> and yeah, you know, you're, you're going to just draw more bad things to you. Yeah. And, and that's because by your attitude, 
you're keeping the good things from yeah. coming. There are two phrases that I've never liked in life. And one of them is, must be nice. The other one is, lordy, lordy, look who's 40. No, I actually don't mind that at all. Oh. It's fun and it's kicky. Uh, the other one is, when a person is encountering a situation that has not moved all the way through yet... And they start the situation by saying, they'd better not blop, 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 mm. or this better not blop, blop, blop. It just seems to me like you are creating uh, that you're creating a negative experience before anything's even happened. And then if it does happen, right. then you feel vindicated because you predicted it. Right. And that makes you more angry. Which, again, prevents good things from happening. Right. You got to stop those synapses. Yeah. Create positive. And it's not easy. Of course it's not easy. Anyway, I'm going to go make some inspirational wall art. <laughs> okay. Yes. And if, yeah, send us your art. We, we're getting some great art on our social media pages and, uh, and our email address. Which, by the way, thank you so much for my beautiful anniversary present. I love it. For our anniversary, I got Kat a, a big art print of the original Lucy Rice Box of Oddities Twins piece that she did that's available on our merchandise page, which is on our website. I love it. Theboxofoddities.com. Stay in touch. Send us uh, messages and emails. We love them, and we respond to as many of them as we can. In fact, I think we've got a pretty good track record. Yeah, not bad. Not bad. Not the best, but not bad. And we love you, you freak. We'll see you Thursday. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly. And so... Let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those I report to, to beseech you for assistance. The Box of Oddities is free. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. Hello everyone, it's here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend, the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.